This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome into today's episode of the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. It is my pleasure to be joined by Danny Bauer, the Chief Ruckus Maker at Better Leaders, Better Schools. Danny's been hosting the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast since 2015. And in 2016, he changed how PD is offered to school leaders through the structure of a mastermind. Since then, he's coached and mentored school administrators from every continent in the world. Does that include Alaska? I mean, uh, Antarctica. Terrible. No, they're too cool for school. So that didn't happen. All right, happen. <laughs> All right. Antarctica, if you're listening, uh, I know that the, the authority Get your act together. Antarctica. All right, if you're down there, get on board the mastermind. His book, as it happens, is called Mastermind, Unlocking Talent Within Every School Leader, co-published by Corwin and AASA. So Danny, welcome to the show. Hey, Ross, thank you for having me on the authority. This is a really cool honor. Appreciate you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And don't judge me too harshly for mixing up Alaska and Antarctica momentarily, but you know, we don't cover geography that frequently here. However, I do know the difference. So I want to talk about something that you state on your webpage around the book about your mission, right? This is mission work. We're all, I think all of our listeners are in the process continuously of defining and revisiting and sticking sure. to their missions in this work. And so you write, your mission is to connect, grow and mentor every school leader who wants to level up. Talk about just how you came upon that mission throughout your career. And when you talk about leveling up, what do you have in mind or what does that typically look like? Yeah, thanks, Ross. So, you know, one of my personal core values is this idea that I'm a sponge that scales. And I've always just really valued learning. We're leaders of learning organizations. So we should, I think, constantly, consistently be developing ourselves. Probably... 2018, we read Simon Sinek's Infinite Game, although, you know, maybe it was 2019, Alaska, Antarctica, you know, whatever. So we read Infinite Game. He talks about this idea of having a just cause. And it's supposed to be inspiring, right? It's supposed to be maybe not even 
able to be accomplished, right? It's so big. It pushes a leader to get out of the competition, right? That you, Ross, has to lose, you know, or your podcast can't be as great as mine. It's scarcity versus an abundance mindset. And a lot of what Simon was talking about clicked with me. So I started to think about, all right, what's my just cause? What's my mission? I came to this idea. It's to connect, grow, mentor every school leader who wants to level up. And I'm playing now this infinite game, which means if people are growing through your show, you better believe I'm going to tell them about it, right? And try to promote you. Like, you don't have to lose for me to win. So I'm playing this bigger game. There's, you know, we have a mutual friend, Jethro, right? And transformative principle. He supports school leaders too. Tell people about his work, right? That's the whole point. And that's how I came to it. In terms of leveling up, I don't know. I mean, I, again, I just always want to be growing. And what we offer, you know, I like to play with edges, you know, on continuums and pull on those and make people a bit uncomfortable and create a little tension. So they have to make a choice. So maybe your listener can relate to this, but most professional development, I call it, it's a TUD, which means it's too little, too late. It's unhelpful. It's disconnected from what a principal is actually experiencing right now in the moment. And so when I think of the programs that we offer, and this is a leadership tip too, it's about staying focused. So we have the mastermind. That's one. We only have three things. Two is the principal success path, a 10-week program, and three are live events, right? So I stay focused. I stay in those lanes. But the PD experiences we offer, I call them responsive, relevant, and results-oriented professional development, right? So when I think about level up, it's personalized. I don't know what Ross needs. So we have a conversation. I figure out where you're at, where are the gaps in terms of where you want to grow. And then we have a space where we can navigate that. So the strategy is the same for everybody. But the tactics and how you grow in specific areas, that's personalized. So that's what, to me, what it means to level up. I don't know. Depends on you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And another thing I found, that's a good segue into, found recently on this show, I think we're almost forming our own dictionary of terms based on the authors we're speaking to. And we've talked about interrupters and rebel educators and radical principles, and we need to talk about ruckus makers, right? And I, I don't know why all these start with R. That must just be a good letter. Uh, you know, it's a powerful, strong letter. Um, but I introduced you as the chief ruckus maker of Better Leaders, Better Schools. You refer to the folks you work with as ruckus makers. So let's introduce what that means, what that's all about, because then we're going to get into okay. why those ruckus makers benefit from participating in these masterminds. But I think we need to first talk about what's a ruckus maker in general. Yeah, so I define that a podcast in pulling on the tension too. We have ruckus makers, those are the highly effective school leaders. And then we have on the opposite end of the continuum, play it safe principles, right? Let me define those folks. Like they're hiding. They're not wanting to grow. They may even think that they're at the top, that they have no other area where they can actually achieve more. They protect tradition, even when it's not working for their communities. That's a problem, especially we know education needs to evolve. So a ruckus maker, a ruckus maker means you invest in your continuous growth. So we have that common thread always. It means you challenge the status quo just because something's been working for a while. Maybe it can be better. Let's think about that. So 
invest in your continuous growth, challenge the status quo. And then the last piece is to design the future of school now. We don't have time to waste, right? So let's start iterating, evolving. That doesn't mean throw everything out, new model tomorrow and go like system-wide. Let's do experiments. I like taking small bets, small experiments, little risks in piloting programs, right? And then when we see what's working, what's failing, let's learn from the failure. If it's working, then we could think about expanding. But yeah, that's what it means. Ultimately, it's about making change, making change in education. Yeah. Yeah. And that's excellent because we talk about these ruckus makers, right? And they're kind of, they're these innovative, they're not satisfied with the status quo. They are looking to right. make change. And part of that personality is being competitive, right? But not being competitive against each other. You talked about school leaders and leadership and not, yeah, it's not yeah. a zero sum game, right? We can learn from each no. other. We can gain, we work together. That's a big thing in just this entire industry, right? Working with various companies and organizations across the industry and understanding those that are really successful, the ones that are looking for those opportunities to collaborate and to partner, sure. those who yeah. are trying to do it all on their own, typically can't make it that far. And that leads us back to this concept of the mastermind and understanding those are fundamental principles of what those communities can be. It's the fact that I, in order for me to become the best at what I'm doing, I want to be learning from others who are trying to do the same because what we're competing against is stagnation, it's status quo, it's inequity, it's the areas where we've had shortcomings as a system. We're not competing against each other. But let's talk about what is a mastermind and why ruckus makers benefit from being part of that type of community. You read about it in Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And I'd have to go back and look when it was published, but might even be 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. Definitely fit at least 50 years ago, more than that. And he talks about this concept of a mastermind, but the gist of it in just a sentence is connecting, networking with other highly effective people, right? And you're solving your greatest problems together. That makes sense. So the mastermind, the container that we serve school leaders, this leadership community, it's a weekly experience. We've been playing on Zoom before people knew what Zoom was. So since 2016, right, we've been doing that weekly and that's a bit of an investment in terms of time. It's a lot. It's one hour, but one hour is all you need really to change your world, change your mindset. I have people come into the to the space and they're like depleted on empty and they leave rejuvenated, totally full, absolutely ready to take on the world type of thing. And in the structure of the mastermind, people are going to have a number of things that they might do in it. Something that we're always going to offer, we're going to have like tips of the week, we'll have some type of creative opening and warm up. And really, we're trying to model stuff that you can do. That's one of the best parts of the mastermind. We teach stuff that you can literally implement that evening, that next day with staff, students, parents, and get a result, which is pretty cool. We read books. And one of the edges that I chose is that we don't read actually any books in education. So that's not because education's broken. It's because the highly effective leaders we support, they're already reading most of the stuff in education. Why recycle it? Let's look for new ideas. Let's look for things that are working outside of our industry. Talk about the bridge we can build to make education, again, design the future of school now. And then a common thing that's going to happen, and really this should happen in every mastermind, is the hot seat experience, right? 
And the hot seat, Ross, is where you would sit down, leverage the collective IQ and experience of your mastermind colleagues. And you would just say, hey, here's the number one challenge I'm facing. Here's a project I'm trying to get off the ground. And you give very quick context to that. And then you leverage that collective IQ. They're asking you really reflective questions. They're sharing stories of what worked, what didn't work. They're pushing you to go deeper in your thinking. And maybe you had one approach or a few approaches to that challenge or project, and you're leaving so much more well-equipped to take on whatever that thing is that you're facing. And it's kind of intangible to express the result that you'll experience from that. But what I know is getting great people in the same room, creating a space where they can really be open and vulnerable, that magic really just happens, you know, as a result. And that feels good for you, the individual. Okay, my problem solved. But then if you think it feels good to help others, because that hot seat rotates, and you get to hear about stuff before you experience it, which helps you move from a reactive to a proactive leader. One of the easiest examples is as COVID hit the world, right? Some schools shut down before others, and we're experiencing things, right, a little bit earlier. And so we were able to unpack some of that, talk about the transition to a remote online environment, which we had been playing in for years. And the pandemic wasn't easy, but it was 100% easier for our leaders than any other school leaders outside of the mastermind, for sure. And the last thing I'll say, and maybe we'll dive deeper into this later in the episode, the foundation of the mastermind, we talk about being responsive, relevant, and results-oriented, but I call it the ABCs of powerful professional development. So the foundation is really built on authenticity, this creating a sense of belonging, and making sure we challenge our members. And that's really our secret sauce. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about those ABCs and why, how you decided on those besides the serendipity of them aligning to the letters ABC, but how you decided on those as those three tenets of powerful professional development, as you say, the authenticity, the belonging, the challenge. We can certainly understand in a lot of ways, belonging aspect, right? What these masterminds are just as you've defined it, but it's about creating that sense. I think the challenge part, one thing that stands out to me, even in the subtitle of the book, right? Unlocking talent within every school leader. And a lot of times we're thinking about, okay, how do these communities give you the opportunity to learn and challenge you to grow, but also it creates that structure and that context to give, right? That's a big part of the talent as well. And that's one of the biggest areas in which we need structure and guidance a lot of times is, okay, I have skills, knowledge, experience, and network, et cetera, that I can utilize to help others, but I need some guidance from them on how to do that, right? And that's how a structured community in this sense can help that mutual interaction. But yeah, talk a little bit about those ABCs, anything that people might find surprising about them, but also kind of how you distilled it down to those being the core tenets. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I just had to make something fit. That's the honest truth. But the fun part of the story is there's leadership lessons in this. The first draft of mastermind was terrible. It wasn't good, right? Now I'm super proud of the book, how it's packaged. It's certainly the best creative thing that I've put out into the world. 
and it took multiple drafts. So that's great. You never hit that on your first try. And that's an important leadership thing too, is like, do you have a, a number of people in your network that can give you candid feedback so that you can grow and stretch? So anyways, my editor, Ariel, was like, yeah, uh, this sucks and it needs to be better. <laughs> and so right. get to work. The other leadership tip here is that I was trying to serve too many audiences. So I was trying to serve the leader talking about, hey, this might be an experience you want for yourself, or how might you integrate the ABCs into your school culture to improve it? And then the other audience I was talking to was maybe you're a leader or even a business owner that wants to start a mastermind. Here's all the nuts and bolts of how to run it. And so it was just all over the place. I walked away from writing the book to write a better book. And I've told this on other podcasts before, but I grabbed my very cute dog, Alba, and we went to Berry Park, which is just five minutes from the house. We would take these walks in nature. And I would just let my mind wander because often what leaders do is they push through, they put in more hours, they clench their fists, they put in more effort. You can't just win by brute force, at least not in a sustainable, like long game, infinite game type of way. So I actually stopped working on the book to think about the book. And the reason this is relevant to the story is there's some things you're doing well when you're succeeding and it just comes naturally. You're working hard, you're consistent in showing up, but it just comes naturally. And so writing about why the mastermind works so well was kind of like describing how do you ride a bike? I don't know. You just, you hop on, you start pedaling. I don't know why you're falling. <laughs> mm -hmm. You have some problems, make it work. And so I thought about it and I wanted it to connect to education. So obviously there's ABCs, one, two, threes. And I thought, can I make a framework that connects to that and honors what comes naturally to me in terms of facilitating masterminds? And I started thinking about it. And then eventually I landed on authenticity, belonging, in challenge. And I saw this triangle. Then I presented it to Ariel, who told me my book sucked, right? And I said, here's the framework. I think this is it. What do you think? You got it, Danny. Write that book. And so then you have the intro. You have the problem with current models of professional development. You go through the ABCs and you have a conclusion and it totally worked. One more leadership lesson for the listener. As a principal, assistant principal, whatever, are you able to communicate what differentiates your schools from others talking about a framework? This is how we do things. And we don't do everything. So Mastermind founded on the ABCs. I've already mentioned responsive, relevant, and results-oriented. But these are frameworks that I could dive into more deeply, but it sets us apart from other experiences. And that gives confidence to those you serve. So for the principal listening, it gives confidence to your teaching staff, your faculty, students, parents, you know, so on and so forth. So that's how I came up with it. Yeah. And that explanation makes total sense because it is so true that oftentimes to go back to authenticity, right? Creating yeah. the conditions for relationships to work in the way that we want them to work. The thing that catalyzes that is often works in the reverse order of how we initially expect, mm -hmm. right? There's this old 
story. I can't remember where I initially read it. It was about a marriage counselor who had a couple that came in and they were talking about all the problems they were having and they didn't feel anything toward one another and so on and so forth. And his, he said, oh, I want you to go home for the next month. And there's only one thing I want you to do. Once a day, tell each other that you love each other. And when they came back, they said, oh, we're not having any problems. I feel so. And it was like just the act of planting that seed changed the way they actually felt. And it makes me think we, I just had Chris Jones on the podcast talking about his book, Seeing to yeah. Lead, which you actually wrote the foreword for. And we talked a lot about belonging in that conversation. And I brought up the feeling that a lot of school leaders would say that they it's an isolating position because they might be the yep. only person in their school with that role and they don't necessarily have a peer in that sense and part of their job is creating the sense and feeling of belonging among their faculty well in fact them making their faculty feel a sense of belonging can then increase their sense of belonging right? because i am cultivating that feeling overall and then i become a part of that and i think that's an illustration of how these dynamics within a community, a mastermind, professional development group, a network can really manifest. <laughs> and then it makes sense that you'd have to take that walk in the woods to think about, okay, how did all these things interplay? Because it's not linear. It's not, here's the curriculum and everybody follow it. And at the end, we're all going to be better. Each mm -hmm. of those communities is going to take on a life of its own. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good points. And belonging is something that I think about a lot. So appreciate you highlighting that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I did have this thought about leadership and it was kind of, it came to my mind as I was reading through the book and thinking about all the important qualities of leaders in the context of this question. We'll basically say that leader in this sense is going to refer to a title, right, within a school, but also, of course, mm. embodiment of their skill set in that title. So I'm sure you would agree likely that the most effective school, the school in which you wouldn't want to work is the school that has a great leader, right? But then sure. what comes after that? So I'm thinking, okay, average leader, bad leader, no leader. How would you rank mm -hmm. those as far as the school that you think would function the best, the school that you'd want to be a part of? Because I could see a case made for any of these and certainly how somebody who's in the leadership role that is perhaps counterproductive, you know, you might be better off with none at all. But I wonder if even an average leader <laughs> is that is an average leader better than no leader. And this relates, of course, to your kind of challenge to leaders to keep getting better because the school is going to really be as effective as they are. And there is that middle ground where you may be neither here nor there and you kind of have to commit. I tell people all the time, if you're not growing, you're really regressing. And to me, even if you're staying where you're at, then you're stagnating. Mm -hmm. That's not good. I just, I keep pushing people and it's not going to land with everyone. And I realize what we offer, you know, it's not, listen, there's 95,000 principles in the United States and Canada alone. Okay if they were all super interested in really getting better, like seriously, think about it. If they were really that invested, there'd be tens of thousands of them in the mastermind. The reality is there's right now 95 leaders, right? From all those different countries and that's around the world. 
there's a number of reasons for that, but I call those reasons often excuses. And this is where feathers get ruffled. But when you have a priority, you find whatever resources you need to make it happen, right? So yes, if you're not an effective leader, then you're probably actually hurting the school, right? Because you're not growing. And it's almost, it's ironic and shameful because we're learning organizations. Of all the organizations in the world, right? From the highly effective corporations and companies we love, whether you're Apple or Android, there's some places that obviously have been very, very successful. Imagine like if their leaders weren't consistently growing, like that would be laughable. But here we are, the industry is all about education and learning. And do our leaders, are they really invested in their growth consistently? I would argue no, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why people have the complaints and the criticisms about education. We should be leading the way. We should be putting on events, conferences, summits, where the Apples and Googles and everyone else in the world are learning from us, not mm -hmm. the other way around. But that's not the case. It's interesting. That's I'm just going to put it there. It's an observation. Right. <laughs> right. And I, I think it, it almost gets us to the question of what is the intrinsic value of the role of principal or head of school, independent of the person who's in that role, right? Mm -hmm. And could almost make a case where you may end up getting better results, not to say that this should be your plan, but it might be the outcome that a quote unquote bad leader, you would end up with better results because at least everybody could gang up in opposition to them versus the kind of vanilla sort of average person. Nobody knows what to think. They're not inspired. They're not necessarily hmm. thinking, I can clearly see why that person's in that role. I, I think it does get us to that question of why it's sometimes hard to push to be that ruckus maker, to level up. And this came up in my conversation with Chris Jones also, as it depends on what you envision the role to be as you're aspiring to it. If you're somebody who says the system needs change, I want to make change. And I see that position as the place where I can make that change happen, then you're probably mm -hmm. entering the role with some thoughts around, okay, there's some disruption here. But if you are aspiring into it because it just seems like the next logical step on a growth ladder, or it seems like at least the place where you can be in control of things that you're tired of not being in control of, it could become easy to settle into a very standard traditional way of inhabiting the role, which we know isn't going to work because there are shortcomings that exist in any school. There are certain students that are not being reached, that are being underserved. There are certain faculty that are not engaged in their work. And so to just continue doing things the way they've been done isn't going to work, period. There's a case study in the book, and there's a quote from James Lane Allen uh, atop that case study, adversity does not build character, it reveals it. And that speaks to the importance of committing to the character building before you, you get to that position. It's seeking challenge proactively because eventually it will find you. And if you haven't 
gone out and found it and practiced, it's really going to hit you in the face when something comes up mm-hmm. that you're not expecting. Why did you choose that quote? Because I, I think it's really relevant here. And I think it does speak to all of this. Is there an example that stands out to you from your career or your experience where you said, okay, this is in stark relief right now, or just what does it really mean to you? I think adversity and challenges, these are great things. And even failure is a great thing too. But what you need to start playing with in your mind is like, how do you relate? and How do you frame and think about these things? And if you see them as opportunities to push yourself and to grow, then you welcome them. The fear, right? And the worry and the anxiety starts to dissipate. And again, you're putting yourself in opportunities always to get better from life experience, even if it's just personal, right? I do enjoy running. I've run a number of marathons and currently training for my, for another half, right? I've run a number of those too. And it's not always fun, right? And your body will hurt and that kind of stuff. But then there's the recovery period, all these type of things. And you learn stuff about yourself, right? Just going through the challenge. And it's always funny. So half marathons, not that like for me, it's not that big a deal because I've done multiple and I've done a marathon. If you not even run a 5k, you might think that's like a really big accomplishment. So it's all relative too. you know, that's something interesting, challenge, adversity, all this. It's all relative success was success. It really depends on you and how you define it. But long story short, like I never feel that great when I start out, I just don't because it's oh my God, what am I doing? And there's so much more, so much longer to go. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, Ross, at some point, I stopped complaining in my mind. I don't know that it's ever a choice to stop complaining. But to your point, since I've made a commitment for health, for fitness reasons, or I want to accomplish this goal through a physical act, at some point, because I've made that commitment, that challenge part seems to melt away. And then there's this gratitude and you're in the zone, you're in the flow state you're smiling, even though it's still hard. It's probably even gotten harder, right? Because you're putting more miles in, you've been pushing for an even more extended amount of time. So hopefully that example works for you, but Mm -hmm. I'm always looking for those areas to grow. And other thing too, I do live events, right? And one of the ways that, again, I pick an edge. So this is a lesson to your listener in your school How are you doing things a little bit differently? Hmm. And I want you to be completely candid with me right now too. Can you think of another educational organization? Because I've been trying to, and I might just not have that broad of an experience. I know you you have great experience. But with my live events, I want to include an adventure aspects, right? So this year, we're doing whitewater rafting. I already know in 2024, we're going to rappel down canyons in Moab, Utah. 50 feet, 100 feet. And I've just been thinking, like, are there any education events where you can go get world-class leadership training for two days and then do something a bit challenging, right? Physically, mentally, maybe even a bit scary. I don't like heights and I'm going to be rappelling down the can. Why? I want to grow. I want to push in, lean into my fears. I want to build my confidence. So anyways, I know that there's growth from that. And at the end of the day, foundational learning, Vygotsky's theory of proximal development. We all know this. You grow when you're stretched. Not too too much, but a little bit. A pain is good because it pushes you to level 
back to leveling up, right? Right. But I did ask you a question. Is there anybody else doing <laughs> stuff like that? I'm curious. You know, to my knowledge, uh, there's not. And I think the foundational principles of the challenge, the challenge and the pursuing the challenge together, the community, the support system that's a part of that is part of why even pre-pandemic, pandemic might've even helped in this sense because now people are excited to see one another again, but the live conference and event space was seen as a dying space. Well, part of it is if you're not creating events that have that level of engagement built in, then people are just kind of passing through. And if it's passive learning, then why can't you just do that online? What are the things about having people together in the same room or the same place that we couldn't accomplish otherwise? And are we investing in maximizing that Versus just saying, well, this is just what we've always done. And on our PL sheet, this is a, we make a lot of money off of this event. And even though we don't make as much yeah. as we used to, but still it, all of those things versus saying, okay, whether that be, who knows, it could be something similar to flipped and blended models that have been tried in classrooms to say, what are the mm-hmm. things that are unique about being here together that we need mm-hmm. to do while we're here together? And what are the things that are not? And that could be rock climbing and whitewater rafting and physical challenges, but it could be any number of other things. Um, Yeah, certainly to my knowledge, I haven't observed where the thought process has been put into that. And I've even seen the opposite, where there was long opposition to having any type of a virtual aspect of conferences and events because of the thought that it would detract from and be in competition with the live event. It was almost like back in the the 40s and 50s when television was becoming more accessible and there was some opposition to putting baseball games on TV because they thought if people could see it on TV, then they wouldn't come and buy a ticket. (laughs) They wouldn't want to come. And really what they eventually learned was actually it's exactly the opposite. The more I can see what I'm missing out on, the more I want to be there. In this case, if you think that just the standard virtual experience is truly in competition with the live experience, then it's a problem with your live experience, not with the virtual experience, right? Yeah. And I think we're back to the compete versus collaborate, scarcity versus abundance that we sort of started this conversation off with too. Right. Yeah. Right. Because there is more opportunities for all. That's that is a mindset question. So that that's a good point to say. Okay. So we're talking about the types of leaders that are ready to rock with respect to participating in mastermind, being ruckus makers, and being. And so, of course, we're going to say we want folks who are committed to embodying those ABCs, authenticity, belonging, challenge. Is there any other factors that either you would evaluate when you're kind of determining if somebody's ready or that they should use to self-evaluate to say, yes, I'm truly and authentically ready to step into this because I have these things that are characteristics. Do we want people that want to grow and have prioritized that and have a track record of investing in themselves? And, you know, in the book and on the website, we do have that mastermind mindset scorecard. And that's a tool we like to use with people because it it helps us personalize that that experience. And I'm not going to read all the categories. I think there's 12 from generous to ownership Mm -hmm. goals, compassion. 
But the thing I want people to visualize, it's set up like a scorecard, like a rubric that educators will be very familiar with. It's out of a 12 point scale. So there's really four areas, but in each of those four areas and you progressively get better and better, there's a range of three, right? So one, two, three, four, five, six. So that's interesting. And the other thing that I want to talk about is that there's a now and next column, which really what we're looking for, not only do you have a track record of investing in yourself, you don't need to score a perfect score or be all in like the four area, right? 10, 11, 12 to get into the mastermind. What we're looking for is that you can be honest with where you're at. So in all these categories, where are you currently now and where do you want to be 90 days, six months? in a year, whatever. And that is the kind of people we like to work with because now we're establishing goals. We're establishing areas where we want to grow. John Tanner is a principal in Delaware. And when we started working together, he wanted to grow in his candor. He felt that was a challenge for him to just be candid with his staff, to be honest. And so we created a plan, started working on it. And literally just a few few weeks, I think it was five weeks after putting the plan together and him, he has to implement, right? So you have to take action. He had his staff telling him, John, you get us now. What's changed? You're hearing us. You get us. We feel like you're here doing the work with us. It's because he was working on that candor piece. And it's just, that's really neat. So hopefully that resonates with your listener. But yeah, that, that's the kind of people we like to work with. And I'll just say this too, because we do this actually in the principal success path. I introduced this scorecard. We did that this week in week five out of 10. And part of the bonus opportunity is what would it look like to design a scorecard for your staff, right? I encourage any listener to pick up the book Mastermind and check out that scorecard, rate it for yourself. But then I want you to think, what would it look like to develop that for your staff? Not to evaluate them right? That's really important. But for them to evaluate themselves, to set real goals, we always set goals as school systems. And I don't know about you, but when I was a principal, believe it or not, I'd have teachers who set fake goals. Mm -hmm. That meant nothing. They just checked the box. Okay, I did it. Let's move on with the year. I had a teacher who turned in a goal on how to use a document camera that had been in her room and she'd been using for the last three years. And I said, I won't say the teacher's name, but let's say her, let's say it was a him and his name was Ross. (laughs) We'll bring him (laughs) into the story. And I said, Ross, don't you know how to use this document camera? Hasn't it been in your classroom for three years? Yeah, that's not a goal, Ross. Pick a real goal. That's a illustration of like people just mailing it in, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Why don't we have vision, mission stuff that really guides the work of the school? So this is a great evaluation tool. Last thing I'll say, hopefully this isn't too abstract because I didn't read all the categories of the different words that are on the scorecard. But imagine giving this to a candidate before they interview and then leading an interview on the categories that you've decided are the most important ways that are the ideal staff member, how they behave at your school. Imagine having a conversation around that and where a potential candidate currently is and where they wanna grow. What would that unlock for you? I know these are good ideas. The question is, will the listener implement them? If you do, you're gonna get a good result. I promise you that. 
Right. Yeah. And the scorecards is a great example of how some of these norms and procedures from within the mastermind can be carried beyond it, right? The things they're learning through that community take into the school and with something like the goal setting, right? To say, okay, as the teacher in that situation, what's my motivation or what do I think is going, what's the risk reward of this? Is my administrator only judging me based on if I met the goal or are they judging me based on my ambition and my growth and my progress? And if it's the former, then I'm just going to set something that I know is achievable, maybe something I've already achieved, because my incentive is not to reach for something that I might not quite get to because they might say, well, you didn't meet your goal. And so you failed versus saying, great, that was a great goal. And, and I think that relates also to this concept of the expectations versus agreements, which is kind of uh, a, oh, defined yeah. by leadership coach, Steve Chandler. And to give it a, a simplified definition, expectations are one-sided, right? They may or may not be made explicit, but in either case, it's um, the leader, I hired you for a job or whatever the relationship is. These are the things I expect of you. And even if I say them to you, you had no say in creating them. Agreements are mutual. They're co-created. They're two-sided. And people come together and say, all right, I agree to this and this, I agree on this side. And now we're on a different wavelength. Now, hearing that most people, if you're a leader that doesn't necessarily want to be challenged, you don't necessarily want to hear what people say. I mean, maybe you're thinking expectations sound better, but a lot of people are going to say, well, these agreements, that sounds like a better structure. One, they are harder, right? <laughs> so I do want to touch on why are they harder, but then two, how can that translate into the school? Okay, now that I know how this works, oh, what, what are my opportunities to actually take this into my school and say... Yeah, I haven't really been having agreements with my faculty and staff. Yeah. One more thing for context, just mm -hmm. as a thought experiment for the listener, think about, okay, there's an expectation, maybe you give a directive and it's like, have this thing done by Friday. And then the thing gets done by Friday. How do you feel? Right? Checking with yourself right now. Right. How do you feel when the person you told to do something by Friday turns it in? You probably feel like they should have turned it in because you told them to. Right. I doubt that you're like really celebrating it or very excited. Now think about two, Friday comes around and the thing's not turned in. How do you feel? I, most people are going to say irritated, upset, mad, this kind of stuff, disappointed, maybe violated. I don't know. But the point is like, you either have a very ambivalent or a a low to high negative reaction to mm -hmm. expectations, whether they're met or not met. So that's why agreements are so much better. And to your point, yeah, they are harder. They're harder because they are co-authored. So this is a, this is like social emotional work with adults. This is giving away power as a leader straight up. And the irony of it is you actually gain more influence by giving away power. By lowering your stature and privilege and power and saying, we're going to come up with this as a community, we're equals here, you actually gain the power that you want. And people respect you more. And people respect you more. But it is harder because now it's a negotiation. It's a dance. And it takes time. And it's messy. And you're going to have to over-communicate and really clear. You're going to have to listen. You're going to have to be present. 
So these are all the things that make you hard, make it harder. I don't remember the second part of the question. I remember the first part was why is it harder? But if <laughs> right. More... How how might they, you know, once I become familiarized with with, with how to form agreements, okay. how might I then take that knowledge into my school if I am the principal or somebody else in a leadership position and looking across the way the school functions and where are there areas where clearly we've been operating on expectations how is that yeah. working or not and how can we start to to foster agreements instead okay so i think what you're saying is like i understand the concept how do i apply it is that right mm -hmm. is that... yeah so think about it this way again let's do just another thought experiment and checking in so you have your teammate and it's hey do the thing by friday and you could tell by their energy and their nonverbals, or maybe they even straight up told you, but you could tell that that directive didn't land very well mm -hmm. with them. And being an emotionally intelligent leader, you want to investigate that, okay? We can all relate to a time a supervisor, a boss, and sometimes this has to happen, but they said, get the thing done by Friday or whatever. And you're thinking, do you even understand the context of my job? Do you have any idea of all the things you've told me to do by Friday? And now you're adding this other significant project. And in that kind of like lack of awareness or perspective that the leader, quote unquote, leader has a lack of awareness. What does that do now with that relationship? There's a loss of trust, a loss of respect. This is not good for a leader. The other approach would be, hey, Ross. I would love for you to get this thing done by Friday. How's that work for you? Is that a reasonable timetable? Because a lot of times I coach my leaders to tell people in central office, all right, fine, I'll get that thing done by Friday. Here's the other list of things you've told me to do. What can I take off my plate? Because honestly, it's not all going to get done. And that's the scary conversation to have. But the folks that don't have those kind of conversations, that's why they're all burnt out. Right. That's why they feel like they're a better mom or dad to their students than to their own children. Mm -hmm. That's why they haven't had a date with their partner in God knows how long, or been able to get to the gym or do any type of hobby. It's about boundaries, communication, you know, courage. So flipping it around, you're the leader and an emotionally intelligent one. You say, okay, does that work for you? And Ross says, no, okay, what would, right? Or can I help you problem solve, prioritize, and this kind of stuff. Now you've figured out how to get the thing that you need by Friday. And this person is happy to give it to you by Friday. They're ecstatic. They cannot wait to make you proud because you've met them where they're at. You've helped them meet the complexity of their role and you did it together. So that's one way you could apply it. Right. Yeah. It's true that with the agreements, right. And we talked about mutual accountability. We can actually have accountability, whatever it is with expectations. Okay. Get this done by tomorrow. It didn't get done. All right. I'm going to punish you for right. it, but it's yeah. not really, it's yeah. not accountability because you can't like, if you don't have an account, <laughs> I can't really yeah. hold you to it. And we can't build together. And you talked about the burnout and this is a big challenge with my satisfaction of my job, my feeling of success, my uh, desire to stay here, right? And can you retain me as mm -hmm. teacher, even in recruitment, there can be times when a, a leader may understand, look, there's a standard 
role of teacher in the school, right? But each person that is going to be inhabiting those roles has a unique set of skills, experiences, preferences for how they execute the role. Can we take it all the way back to the beginning and have some agreements about how we're going to empower the best aspects of our individual educators and not just say a job description is an ex- a form of expectation, right? And even if somebody agrees to take that job, it doesn't necessarily make it an agreement. <laughs> it's just unless there was a dialogue to say, how are we going to function together? You in your role, me in mine. What type of support do you want? Feedback. What would you like feedback on? (laughs) What would actually be helpful to you versus I'm just telling you what I think and you're like, okay, I can't really even think about that right now because I have 10 other things to do. So there are so many opportunities for this. Well, what would you say, Danny, is the next step for a listener today besides reading the book, but a listener today who's thinking, "Hmm, this sounds interesting to me. I don't know that much about it yet, but it sounds like something I like to explore. Would you recommend, is there some type of self-inventory, some type of other exploration of what they might want to try first, or is it just, hey, check out the book and that's a good starting point? The book's a great starting point for sure. So mastermind unlocking talent within every school leader, like get the book, please. And if, if you get the book from my website, I autograph every book. So as long as you're in the you know United States or Canada, that's true. Otherwise, I'm not able to ship. Um, and that's at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind book, all one word. I want to go back to agreements really quick, and then I'll, I'll talk about connecting. So I, I did a, a leader with their direct report. Now let's talk very briefly, I promise briefly, building wide, system-wide. So I was at the Kennedy Center of Performing Arts, talking to a school in Virginia, middle school, actually elementary school. And we built five agreements, I think, together as a team. And one of them was that all the kids are all our kids, right? So imagine school A that just has expectations. They don't have these agreements. And there's a teacher with a class list of 150 kids, and they care only about the 150, not the 1500 that are all in the school. And they're just like, this is my classroom. These are my kids. That's what I do. Now imagine this other school that has agreed together. Nobody was forced, right? Mm -hmm. We had a list of 30, let's say 40, whittled it down to the five most important people had a vote and okay, everybody's voice was heard. And one of them was all the kids are all our kids. Now, when a teacher is trying to be siloed and say, I don't talk to that kid or help that parent or, you know what I mean? It's like, these are just my 150. You can have a very difficult conversation or encourage, right? All our kids are all our kids. It changes the whole temperature and the whole culture of a building. All right. Buy the book. We've already established that. Call me. If you want to have a conversation about the mastermind, I encourage you to call or text me 312-788-7595. I will communicate with you. I'm a human being. I love talking to ruckus makers. And then I would say, hey, go to the website, betterleadersbetterschools.com slash mastermind. And there's tons of information there, including FAQ. But if you seem to be aligned with what I've been putting out with Ross on the Authority Podcast, then maybe this is a good next step for you. We're not for everybody. We're for leaders who are, again, invested in their growth. They want to challenge the status quo and design the future school now. And if we can help you grow, 
that would be our honor because we'd be living out our mission. So go make a Excellent. ruckus. Excellent. <laughs> and do you have one more book other than yours that you've read recently that you would recommend our listeners check out? Only read my books, but if there's extra time, well, let me give a shout out to Steve Chandler. I mean, since you brought him mm -hmm. into the conversation, yeah. I read him a long time ago, but uh, the expectations versus agreements. And I, I had to write to him and I got permission to retell his story. It's in a book called Crazy, Crazy Good. And he calls it a book of choices. I think there's 12 choices. And one of those choices, expectations versus agreements. So you might check that out. That's a really good one. So um, yeah, that's what I'm reading these days. And I'll give you, I'll give you a bonus one because you asked currently. That would be uh, Dr. BJ Fogg's Tiny Habits. We're currently reading that in the mastermind. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves it. It talks about how people form habits effectively. And I'll tell you, lots of leaders, they think it's a motivation issue, right? With their faculty. Why are they late to a meeting or why are they not doing this thing that I've asked? Spoiler alert has nothing to do with motivation. You'll have to read the book, but if you get Dr. Fogg's model, right, of habit forming, you can tweak some things in how you present stuff. People are going to do what you want and it helps you establish strong habits. So I highly recommend that book for sure. Perfect. Well, check that out. Yeah. I'm glad you gave the synopsis because I was thinking maybe it was, you know, the, the habits that are worn by petite nuns. Right. Um, so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we will put those in the show notes. We will make listeners actually listen through the end to get the phone number if they want to reach out. But the, the website and the link to the book and these recommendations will pop all of that in the show notes. So listeners, please do check that out below. Find Danny's book, Mastermind. Find his website, Better Leaders, Better School. His podcast, Better Leaders, Better Schools. All of that information down there for you. Please do subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews like this or visit the podcast network to learn about all of our shows. Danny, thanks again for being on The Authority. Ross, you're the best. Thanks for having me. It was great. This has been The Authority Podcast, hosted by Ross Romano, edited by Gage Sanderson. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.